It's very humbling to be uh, before you and sharing, uh, a bit nerve-wracking, uh, because I think we have a high expectation for, and which is good for somebody who teaches, um, but I think at Blue Water, you know, one of our goals is to try, right? One of the things that we're all about is trying, and we need to have a pocket in Blue Water for people trying things, even publicly. Um, so it's an honor to be a try right now. Um, I wanted to talk about, uh, start with a story from K2, the house that I live in. Um, I've lived in community for now like seven, eight years, which has been great. Uh, it's been an adventure. And I have a couple pet peeves because I'm a person. So I thought I'd start about sharing one of my pet peeves. But uh, can anyone take a guess of what a pet peeve might be living with? I've lived with probably over 200 people. Yeah. Toilet paper is not replaced. Absolutely. Yeah, that's frustrating. That's not the one I was going to talk about today. Coley. When people leave and don't say goodbye, it's heartbreaking. It is so heartbreaking when you're trying to love people. And you know, hey, I'm just another guy. I don't love people perfectly, not like Jesus does. But when you're trying to sacrifice for somebody and they just kind of peace out of your life and they don't really close it, that's heartbreaking. Uh, my biggest pet peeve is a, is a strange one. It saddens me so much when I see food rot. Like I open my fridge and I'm like, how did this food rot? Like how did this happen? The other day on the lanai, I walk onto our lanai and there's a bucket of ice cream that's been sitting there for hours melting. I'm like, this is the gift from God. Like, this is ice cream. There are starving children in Africa who would love just a spoonful of cold ice cream, and it's rotting on our lanai. I was like, this is, this is a travesty. You know, the disciples, Jesus never got to experience ice cream, and here it is on our porch. We have this bounty, and nobody just put it back in the freezer. Now, I mean, the reason why it was melting was because someone was cleaning the, the freezer, and that's beautiful. You know, that's a good reason for it to maybe spoil. But it was also tragic. So I have so many stories of food. The other day there was just like rice left out on the counter overnight. Like somebody made this pot of rice for dinner and it was just left there. And it's like there are starving children who would love rice. So I'm trying to make sake out of rice. Probably not a good idea for a clean and sober home that I live in, but I will pass it on to someone else who wants to use their rice for sake. Um, so our scripture today, this will relate to our scripture. Our scripture today is from Matthew 9, 35 through 38. When Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to the, his disciples, The harvest is, truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So just walking through it, Jesus would travel all over the Galilean countryside, it says, and he was teaching in the synagogues. Just so you know, any place where there were over 10 Jewish households in a city, they were kind of ordered by God to have a synagogue. A synagogue would be a place of worship, a place to gather to learn about God. Um, in that 
he would preach the gospel of the kingdom. So that makes me wonder, what is the gospel of the kingdom? From this passage, at least it seems that the gospel of the kingdom brings healing because he was healing every sickness and every need. So the gospel of the kingdom seems to be to have something to do with healing. But what if, and also there's something about being, you know, connecting with the poor of the gospel of the kingdom from this passage because it says that he saw these people and he had compassion on them and he was worried for them. So there's something about that. But what exactly could the message be of the gospel of the kingdom as it says here? So in Mark, for Mark 1, 14 through 15, it's talking about how John the Baptist, who's a famous leader of, you know, kind of proclaimed Jesus's coming, uh, a famous character in the whole country. He was famous for calling people out into the wilderness. They would meet him in the wilderness and they would be baptized. So it says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. So the Jesus message seems to be like, it's good, it's all good, God is here, and turn from your ways, you know, at least according to this. The, the message, it says that he was proclaiming the good news of God, and he says the kingdom of God has come near. So God's kingdom is here. Turn from your ways, which is also what John the Baptist had been telling them. Turn from your ways, you know, repent. That's our fancy word for saying turn back to God turn away from the world, and believe in the good news. I, yes, the good news that God is here and that God is good. And evidently that God also heals as we see through Jesus. So uh, Jesus doesn't just speak of God's nearness and God's goodness. He also heals people. And that's what kind of starts this whole thing. He doesn't just say in God's kingdom, no one is injured. He heals the person. He doesn't just say... Uh, he doesn't just say, hey, in God's kingdom, everyone's accepted. He, like, all these, like, vagabond people who just show up, he, like, gathers together and heals them. He doesn't just say, God's aware of your needs. You know, God knows what you need. He demonstrates radical acceptance. So Jesus doesn't just look at the crowd and have compassion on them. He does something about it. He makes this a teachable moment with his disciples. He pulls them aside. You know, he pulls together who's ever gathered there, probably the 12. We don't necessarily know from this passage. And says, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Pray that the Lord of harvest send workers out into the field. Some context we might miss because, you know, we don't, most of us don't grow our own food. A couple of us do. I know like Vern puts like things from the store that she like reads online that this could grow if she like saves this part of her food and she'll save seeds and she'll grow them in bottles and stuff and glass containers. Awesome. Some of us grow some food, but not many of us today, right? We just walk into Safeway. I was there the other day. I like walk in. There's bounty. It's everywhere. There's always fruit. I just show up. I grab what I want. I go. There's, it's like a plethora of food, more food than these people had ever seen in their lives, right? More, pe more food than most people in the world will ever see in their lives. And we just walk in and, you know, if we're really like more wealthy, we go to Whole Foods, right? And it's like, oh, this is nice, right? I can't go to Whole Foods, you know? I can't really eat there very often. I don't have that kind of income, but some people do and they go to Whole Foods and other people do most of their shopping at Walmart, you know, at Super Walmart because it's cheaper. 
right? And some of us go to like Safeway Manoa because it's kind of, you know, it's a nice one, right? But we have all this food all around, all that we could ever want. We are not used to growing our own food. And so the, the analogy for the people of Jesus' time would have been really palpable. They would have gotten the point. Like, there's all this food in the field. It's ready for harvesting. But nobody's showing up to do it. It would be kind of like, you know, the ice cream melting on the lanai of K1. I mean, of K2 is a good analogy, right? There's all this abundance, but people aren't addressing it. People aren't moving to do it. Um, they also would have a much different interaction with food. You know, they're harvesting and growing this food. They also are hungry people. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm a little hungry. I can get, I can get food really easily at uh, Safeway, you know, I can, or I can go to McDonald's or something like that. So when Jesus uh, saw that the fields were ready, uh, the harvest was ready, he said it's ready, he would be like saying to them, it's ready to eat, it's ready to be gathered in, and if you delay, it will rot. The Jesus message uh, was really also, here we see, to the poor. Let's just pause and observe that Jesus is speaking to, he didn't just go to like the, the formal places and talk to the holy people and talk to the good people and talk to like the religious experts. It says he, goes, he went to every village. He went to every village. He was going to like the backwater areas of, um, of Judea, and he was also going to the rich places. He was going not just to the wealthy places, but to every village, to the obscure villages. And where he went, he would always heal people. He was wandering around the Judean countryside, and people would just kind of come and gather. And obviously, the people that would come and gather around him were the people who weren't healed. You can just see what was happening, right? Like, they say, like, Uncle, where are you going? What are you doing? You shouldn't really be walking. And he's like, I heard there's this guy, Jesus. I'm going to go find him. Well, where are you going to find him? Well, I hear he's in the wilderness somewhere, and he's going town to town. Last I heard, he was over here. And then they're like, Uncle, you probably shouldn't be walking. And he's like, well, why don't you help me get there? And, you know, people are helping each other. And they're like, well, how are you going to find him when you get there? Well, there'll be people around him getting healed. Like, that's all I know. I haven't seen him. I'm just going to go find him. And so they would go around, and people were just showing up. And these aren't like, you know, these aren't the people who are like, I've been praying for days, and blessed is the Lord, and teach me. These are people who are like, my leg's broken. I can't work. These are people who are like, I need a break in life. They're wandering from all throughout the countryside to find Jesus and to get up with him. That's the people who were traveling around. That's the people that he sees in this story that he says, it says, Jesus had compassion on the crowd because he saw that they were sheep, like sheep without a savior or without a shepherd. Um, I think few of us, this is hard for us to totally understand too, because few of us today raise sheep. You know, there, as far as I know, there are no sheep raised on island. I don't know. Maybe there are somewhere. There are. Sonia says there are. She always knows things. That's why I love it that she's in the front, because she'll always know. There are sheep on island, but I'm pretty sure that none of us here raise them. Maybe, they, maybe we do. Um, there are, uh, it's, it's, some of us raise like chickens, and that's maybe our best analogy today. Some of us raise chickens for like eggs. 
But the analogy also doesn't work perfect because here in Hawaii, we don't have like lions and bears like they did. And our chickens can kind of stay in a coop and we like let them out a little bit into our yard and we take them back in. Sheep would like wander around the countryside, lions and bears and all that would come and try and attack. And you know, they would have to, a shepherd really was, a, was like a defender. A shepherd was like almost like a modern day like uh, cowboy, you know, out in the wild west or something. Um, so it's hard for us to totally get the translation, but it means one who is constantly vulnerable, you know, one who is constantly vulnerable. In Jesus's language here, is, it's even more strong, strong. It's like one who is cast down and thrown out, one who is in danger at every moment. So it's almost like saying it's like a fish in a school of sharks or like a baby walking around a minefield, like crawling around a minefield, or like saying it's like, I don't know, a chicken in a butcher shop, right? Like the threat of danger was imminent. It wasn't just, oh, poor little sheep, like let's help them. It's like, no, this sheep is like about to get eaten. That's the, the language, if you look at the translation of the Aramaic, that's kind of the context of how Jesus was speaking of it. He talks about how the harvest is plentiful, Jesus looks at his boys and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. And the harvest just here for us to be clear about, it probably represents the whole, all of humanity, like all people everywhere, the whole world. The harvest is that whole field that's out there. Every person who lives in the world at Jesus's time. So interesting, um, during Jesus's time, there was probably 150 million people is what's believed is that there were just 150 million people. I didn't do this research myself. I found the person who did the research. So, you know, I didn't personally like study this, but somebody has smarter than me and guesses that there, you know, were about 150 million people in the world at the time. And today uh, it's believed that there are about six billion, uh, not believed, it's known, there are over six billion people today in the world. And so every two years, we add 150 million people to the whole world. Like every two years, as many people as lived during Jesus's time are added to the population. And it's believed that 30, uh, oh, I'm gonna get to that later, sorry. I'll get to that in a minute. Um, the fields are ripe, there's all these people, and now there's more people in the world and yet the workers are few, is what Jesus says. So he says, get to work, right? He says, get out in that field and go do something. Robin's shaking her head, no, she's so good. She knows the Bible well. He says, pray. He says, pray that the God of the harvest sends workers out into the harvest. So there's all these people, there's all this need. They're like sheep about to get eaten. And God says, pray that somebody goes and does something about it. The fields are ready I think he should say, the fields are ready, so get to work. Get out in the field, pick something, start help, helping any like uneducated Galilean fisherman or person who's there can like pick some things. It's not terribly hard. Like, oh, there's a mango. It looks ripe. I will pull it off that and there we go. I now am a harvester. Like it's not hard. Find fruit, decide if it's ripe and take it. It's even easier for them. He says the field is ripe. So just find fruit, pull it out. Boom, you're, you're set. Um, I have an interesting story about seed. 
uh, that kind of relates to this. So I was at, I, when Seed first opened, I would sometimes get texts like, um, please help out, you know, we had somebody who, who was, you know, extreme circumstance, they can't show up today, can you show up and do something? And I'm like, sure, I don't really know what I'm doing, but sure. So I'd like come in, I put on a shirt that says Seed, and now people think like I've been trained. And, and then someone would pull me aside and say like, just bust the tables, and I'm like, not really sure what that means, but it can't be too hard, I've gone to restaurants, like I assume you take the dirty stuff, and maybe you bring the clean stuff, and you fill up waters. I'm like, okay. So I show up, and there's no time to even find out, like, where are cups? Like, where's the water? Like, I just am in there. Because when Seed first opened, we were, like, slammed with people. It was, like, constant reservations, and, like, people out the door waiting. And so I'm like, I just figured it out. Like, oh, there's some cups over here. They're the same cups as are on the table. Those must be the ones. Oh, I see there's the pitcher of water. I will fill up with that water. Oh, now I saw that one of the other people filled up that pitcher at this one water station. That must be the place. I just kind of made it up. And what's most interestingly is, for some reason, like I did it with such, I guess, pizzazz or whatever, or, like confidence, that people were like, you should train the other bussers. And then people, people like said to me, are you, are you the proprietor of this establishment? And I was like, I don't know what a proprietor is, but I wasn't going to say that. I'm like, yes. <laughs> Somebody else came to me and said, um, can I please speak to a manager? Can I speak with a manager? And I'm thinking, like, if they have an issue, like, I want to pastor this. And if they, you know, like, I can at least tell the person first, like, hey, they kind of have an issue. Or if it's something good, like, I'd kind of like to hear it myself. So I was, uh, they said, are you a manager? And I said, Go ahead. <laughs> I didn't lie. I didn't say that I was the manager. I just said, go ahead. And then they shared with me this great thing. And I said, well, you know what? Our, our, our head manager would really like to hear that. And I passed them on information. I just jumped into Seed. I didn't know what I was doing. Now, listen, there are places at Seed, just to be really clear, there are places like if I were trying to cook like Rolo, I'd be doomed, right? There's like the waiters who like are having to enter stuff on this complicated system, like I would have been doomed. Like, but there was a place in Seed that I could serve and just figure it out. And that's the analogy that Jesus is going for. That's how they would have heard it with workers in the field. Like, oh, I can do that. Like, I don't need education. I don't need some, like, highfalutin experience with the Lord. I don't need all these things. I could just go and pick something. That's possible. So why, then, does Jesus have this call to prayer? What is, there are people in danger, he says, like people literally starving, people struggling. Why does he say that we should send, pray that God sends workers? I think there are a couple reasons. I think one of the reasons is because prayer is power. Prayer is power. If you're going to demonstrate God's power, you, have, you must grow in your relationship with God. And Jesus taught as one with great power. There's the story uh, in the Gospels of Jesus. He speaks somewhere and people are like, oh, he doesn't speak like the Pharisees, which were like the experts of the day of religion. Uh, he doesn't speak like them. He speaks as one with power. There was something striking about the power that he spoke with that people would even say, like, he doesn't speak like those people who have all the training. There's something powerful in what he says. 
And Jesus went around just saying, God is here and God is good. And then he demonstrated God's power. He didn't just say like, God loves you. God wants you healed. He healed the person. He said, God is here. God is good. Be healed in Jesus' name. I guess he, he maybe didn't use his own name. He just said, be healed. <laughs> he taught us the same model, which is just quite simple. Find a sick person. See that they're injured. Ask to lay a hand on them and say, be healed in Jesus' name. We get to add the Jesus because it's his power flowing through us, but it's us who the power comes to now. So the disciples needed to pray and pray continually so they could get stronger. Any time we spend in prayer is time we don't spend in the wor world, right? Any time in prayer is time spent with God, and that will create space in our life for God to speak to us, space in our life for us to respond, space for us to go out into the field and then be like, be changeful instead of just trying and not really sure what we should, what we should do. Prayer is the engine of change and the bringer of God's kingdom on earth. The other reason I think he talks about prayer is because we need workers. The fields are huge. Today the fields are bigger than they ever will be. In two more years, there'll be as many people as Jesus had in the whole world added to our world population. I look around Blue Water and I see people, like when I, when I hear the idea of being workers in the field, I see workers in the field. I see people, I think, of us. Jesus is saying to us, go and work in the field. People is look, Jesus is looking at you and saying, work. It's good for us to continue that work in prayer. Um, I really quick, we're going to look at look 10, which is the next. Yep. There's another account of Jesus saying the same thing to his disciples. After the Lord appointed 72 others to send them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So now he's sending out 72 believers. He's gathered these people. Maybe some of them are healed, right? And then they're like, I want to stick around Jesus. This is cool. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go! I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. That's tough. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet, do, and do not greet anyone on the road. Instead, they're supposed to go to the towns. Go to a house. Then when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. So here we see it in process, you know. They've now prayed that God will send workers and now Jesus is saying, go do these things. Pray, therefore, that he will send workers out in the harvest field, and you go. You pray, and then you go. That's kind of the message. I love this passage because of that. The harvest is ready. Uh, by the way, this is uh, Blue Water Mission's seventh anniversary, I believe. Seven years today. Seven years. I look around Blue Water, and I see lots of people who are in the fields. I see people who are working their tails off. I see people, I know stories since I've been here of people who have given away all their money and they didn't have a lot. They gave away all their money, what was left in their bank account because they felt like God told them. I've seen people, uh, I know of people who have traveled to the far corners of the earth, like just to totally new cultures, totally different places. You know, we've heard from Annalise, we've heard from others. 
and we, there are more that we don't even know of, maybe, who are traveling to the far places. I know people at Blue Water who have moved into weird neighborhoods because they're like, I want to love people. I want to love my neighbors. Yeah. I know people at Blue Water who have taken in, like, people who, were, uh, who, who have been abused by the sex trade um, in the world, taken them into their house, First, before they had a pattern for doing it, they're just like, I guess you could sleep on my couch. Like, I don't know how to address the need, but I know that you are a piece of fruit and I need to help you. I need to help you. I need to bring God's kingdom. I know people who have rearranged their lives because they're trying to help somebody who's in radical need. I know people who have stayed up like all night praying. I know people who have done all kinds of little things, big things, strange things. Mostly all of them are strange because they're responding to what's going on in the kingdom. I see people who are trying to make a real difference in the workplace with a friend, with a person in their family who's not a believer. I see people who are constantly bringing faith and going out into the fields and trying. And you know, I think my reflection on it is that you'll never be quite as happy in life as when you're working in the fields with your friends. You won't. You really won't. There's nothing that will fulfill you in the same way as following God's call in your life, what God is telling you to do. And God doesn't need to tell us, yeah, God doesn't need to tell us this again. He said it then, and we do the same thing. The pattern's pretty easy. The harvest comes through you. First, you're going to pray. That's easy. Then you're going to go. And when you go, you're going to demonstrate power. You're going to demonstrate power. And the best way I think of demonstrating power, we talk about it here at Blue Water, is having a testimony. That's a fancy way of saying I have a good story. I have a story of how God's done something surprising in my life. I have a story that, um, that is interesting. And if you've been around Blue Water for any amount of time, you probably have a weird story. And if you don't still, or if you're checking it out, stick around, you will. And if you're not sure how to get one, ask some of the people because there are weird people here doing weird things. That, and yet God keeps showing up and God keeps doing things through them. And God keeps expanding the kingdom and, and healing people and saving people and breaking people from addictions and breaking people from lives of, uh, of, of being trapped. I feel like that's one of the strengths I have in life is like I could throw down with anybody who's got a story. You know, somebody's like, oh, the weirdest thing happened. Let me tell you this. And I'm like, okay, yeah. How about this one? You know, it's a great strength in life. I'm not terribly smart. I'm not terribly gifted. I'm not terribly talented. All I've done is respond to God's call in my life. I've seen somebody in need and I've tried to do something about it. And out of that has given me great authority and out of that has given me a great place where I can talk and where I can uh, raise and demonstrate God's power. A little tiny small story about this is that I, I was asked to help with a YWAM teaching for these very, you know, very beautiful high schoolers who were there for their spring break. And I only had 45 minutes away from my job as a teacher and I just like, Blah, said like some teachings on here. Here's some ideas of how you could heal somebody. And then I'm like, well, we should apply it. So, you know, who here's sick? And there's obviously this kid in a brace on his leg, like one of those casts that like comes on and off. And we like pray and, and it doesn't seem like anything's happened. And then I have to leave. And I'm like, oh, that stinks. Like, guess I tried, you know? And I leave and I'm like, 
I hand it to Ryland and Vern, and I'm like, you know, you take the rest, and that was the plan, you know, but I was just kind of discouraged, and I'm like, oh, I, I should have prayed more, and I should have fasted more, and, you know, I should have, like, spent some time with God, which is good, right? This talks about prayer before you go and before you act. Anyway, I then run into, uh, I was at YWAM um, last night at a worship service, and there, one of the people at YWAM pulls me aside and says, like, look, there's the guy right there. And his face is off. And he's, like, in barefoot in slippers. And he's, like, spinning around as they're singing, like, I lift my hands and spin around. He's, like, jumping around. And evidently he, like, went and played dodgeball. Like, took his, he didn't have, like, shoes for dodgeball. He only had one slipper because he had this boot on before. So he, like, borrowed shoes from somebody else and played dodgeball. And he was, like, healed. And all I did was kind of show up, right? Like, yeah, praise God. What I like about it is that I never, I didn't walk away going, oh yeah, you know, here we go, back to work. Like, that's right. I walked away going, oh, like, Lord, be merciful. Like, heal that boy, you know, heal that boy. And then they prayed for him more, and, you know, he was healed. And that's a beautiful thing. I want to end with talking about Jesus' compassion. The word that he said for compassion here literally means the deepest kind. He, when he says he felt compassion for the crowd, it's the deepest kind of brokenness. It's a heart that is just broken and destroyed by what he saw. He sees that they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he literally is like, this cannot be. I cannot stand this. This destroys me. Um, I think... This compassion is the same kind of compassion that we see, the same word used when he feeds the 4,000 and the 5,000. It says he saw the crowd and he has compassion on them. He felt pain by their suffering. Or the leper that he heals in the book of Mark. Or the demon-possessed man later in Mark. Or the two blind men from Matthew that he heals. Or the lady who, like, her son is being carried by and she's a widow and she, her son's dead and carried past carried past her, her son, right there. And he says, he, it says he had compassion on her. And then he said, little boy, get up. And the boy just sits up, and then he reintroduces the, the son to the mother. Here is your son. Son, here is your mother. Beautiful. That, it started with compassion. It began in Jesus' heart with compassion. That's what he first felt. So that's what we should first feel. Vern's famous for saying, like, the first thing that happened to her, she's like, once God breaks your heart or opens your eyes to something, you'll never be able to close them. And that's the truth. What starts the ministry is being compassionate. That's the heart of God. The heart of Jesus is one of compassion. He sees impossible things, and he doesn't say, oh, it's too hard. He doesn't see them and say, I can't deal with that. That's too dirty. That's too messy. He feels compassion. This past week, I was at IHS, I was dropping off a dear friend there, got them into IHS, which is one of the more tough shelters we have here on island for homeless people. And I saw all these people. And after I left, I was like, that's the exact crowd that Jesus was probably talking about. That's the same crowd when he says he saw they were sheep without a shepherd. There were people just like huddled up on the side of the road, like eating what little food they, you know, this like rice and, and things. And, and I was just tempted to like walk in and walk out. I didn't really want to see it. You know, I didn't really want to see all that need because it's larger than I could address. But the truth is that when our heart 
breaks with compassion, we then pray and then we go and we address through power, through stories of change, through us trying to heal the sick like Jesus did. We can do the same things and that's our, that's our challenge. We often look at the person who is not part of Christianity. I, I read something that like 30 million people will die this year, it's guessed, not knowing Jesus. 30 million, more people than lived during Jesus' time. Almost. Almost more than lived during Jesus' time. Um, will pass away this year not knowing, not having heard of Jesus. There are people in our lives who we know right now who are in need of the story of Jesus and how he interacts with our life. So that's my challenge to you. Find fruit, pray. Actually, you don't need to find the fruit. Pray, go and address the need. And the way you address the need, the way that you harvest in the field is with personal connection with God and personal power that comes from him. And that's the message that we need to hear as far as what we should do. The people Jesus was talking to weren't the people who knew everything. They weren't like, teach me how to do that. I don't know how to harvest. I haven't read enough books about it, but I haven't gone to like the official school for people who know how to harvest. No, they were people that this made total sense to. They're like, oh yeah, anybody can do that. I just challenge you with that. Anybody can bring the message of God to a needy world, any of us here. And even if you're just checking Jesus out, I challenge you, try and show something that's full of love and grace and power in somebody's life. And I guarantee Jesus will show up in your life. You will see it in a new way. So I would like to close with prayer. Lord, we just, right now we respond to your call. We respond to your message, Lord. You just say to us, pray, go. And the message that you give us is one of power. I now pray, Lord, that we would be filled with your power. And Lord, that the ways that we have tried to be uh, attentive in your field would be blessed right now. And Lord, the ways that we have not answered your call, the ways that we uh, do not head into the field, those places that we're supposed to be picking, Lord, that we, we just repent of that and we ask your presence, Lord, to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.